Hi, everybody. Welcome to Drishti Talk. We're recording on May 15th, Monday evening with Bhushan Shah. Uh, today, we'll be talking about the textile policy updates. But first, a quick roundup on some news. Stay tuned. Hey, Bhushan. How are you? Hello. I'm fine, Chirag. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, man. Um, so we've had the, some interesting news, uh, you know, that's been making its way this week. I don't know if you had a chance to look at this, but the Department of Telecommunications launched an online portal where you can see um, all the mobile phone towers in your area. Um, have you had a chance to take a look at this portal at all? Yeah, I have checked the news. Basically, this may not seem a very big reform or very big step, but small steps like this make a considerable difference in the long run. So cell phone, location of cell phone towers has always been an issue in India. It is like many people do not like to have cell phone towers in their vicinity because of the radiation hazard. Uh, yeah, and also, um, so it, you know, to your point, um, and I've had a lot of conversations with people where it's the same thing, where a lot of societies petition, uh, you know, the government or the local entities to remove, um, you know, uh, mobile phone towers because they believe that it, it causes harm. And conversely, uh, you know, we have a constant complaint and it was really loud last year, uh, you know, that India is suffering from, from call drops everywhere all the time. And so it's sort of like trying to find the balance. One interesting thing about the portal is that they've actually uploaded a few studies and some videos to try to explain that EMF, which is the electromagnetic radiation um, that comes out of the mobile phone towers, is actually has, has no links to, to, to cancer and other things as well, like the numerous studies that have been done, uh, to try and sort of reassure the public that A, this is not an issue, and B, if you're worried about something, take a look, here are all the stats, here's when we completed the last audit of the tower um, and, and what the rating of the tower is and how it complies with, you know, what the compliance status is of the tower. Yeah, this is a welcome step to counter misinformation because, you know, a lot of people who do not want India to develop, they do such kind of things like they're creating panic amongst ordinary people. We see whenever a big project is being built, there is a lot of misinformation spread regarding it. And I guess it is the same case with telephone towers. So this is a welcome step. It will help in countering the misinformation. Yeah, and uh, one last point to mention here is that even, for example, even though the, the government and whatever the local entities um, actually perform audits and you can see when the last audit was performed and they do a routine, uh, they actually offer uh, citizens an option to request a manual audit, uh, you know, like I want one done today to where, you know, because I'm not satisfied or I think that there are the emissions are not compliant or whatever it might be. Uh, a fee will be charged, of course, but uh, but you know it's I think it's which acts as a good deterrent. Otherwise, you know people will just start requesting audits left, right, and center. But at least if someone wants that personal satisfaction that you know it's been a I don't know it's been six months and I want to you know I want to get it checked again, um, then the government's giving that option too. Yeah, this is a good idea. Um, I want to add here, uh, I mean, it's it's actually, it's really, it's really great because uh, when they launched the portal, they've actually done a catalog of all the mobile phone towers in the country, which, uh, so that's quite an expansive uh, bit of work. Um, I want to mention just one additional point since it's related to call drops. Uh, you know, there, there, there was a, um, so last, towards the end of last year, when, when there was a lot of hue and cry about the amount of call drops, and I know that this is a problem across the country. Um, 
the, the government actually had set up a specific task force to look into this problem. And in the process of which they did a, a called-up survey, uh, which was released sometime in February. Uh, so... Uh, Based on the feedback that they received on the survey, uh, more than two lab base stations have been installed to alleviate some of the problems where people were complaining. So it, it does look like, you know, some efforts are, are on. Um, I haven't heard as much, uh, you know, hue and cry about it, but of course it could just be fatigue and people are just tired of complaining about it. Uh, the the number, it's, so it's about, I think, you know, 9,000 something cases have been resolved under this, uh, you know, under this because the the task force reviews it uh, once every two weeks. Uh, so I think that number is a bit low because the total number of, um, you know, call drops reported are, are more than one lakh and obviously some of them will be common. Uh, so the, the progress is a bit slow, but then again, it's, you know, it's the central government along with the state government, along with the, the telecom entities have to all kind of work together and procure things. Uh, but, you know, two lakh new base stations and, you know, to help uh, the problem is actually a good number. Government has to walk a really tight rope here. It has to maintain a balance between people's concerns on mobile towers as well as dealing with the call drop problem. But I think with the advent of Reliance Geo, which has got unlimited calling, people may not complain that much about call drop problem because it does not lead to an ad- additional financial loss. Yeah, that's that's a good point, actually. Um, and, and in fact, the, the timing was a bit interesting because, you know, Geo officially launched in September last year. Uh, so anyway, I, I hope they continue to publish. Uh, so I, the last metrics I saw for this is was February. So I hope they continue to publish these metrics to tell us, you know, how many cases are being resolved and how many more surveys are being done. The good thing is that the, the task force is uh, reviewing all of these complaints every two weeks. And they're, you know, they're, they're meeting with the, the telecom providers. It's once a month, if I'm right. It's good that, I you know, there's something dedicated to looking after this problem. And, and I think it's probably one of the reasons as well why, uh, you know, along with the advent of, say, a geo, uh, you know, why these complaints have, s- have slowed down quite a lot. I'm going to move to uh, the other piece of news, and this is regarding employment. You know, job creation is something that's that's starting to, you know, it's starting to uh, create a bit of uh, concern, uh, especially when we look back at, you know, the the big growth India had in 03, 04, 05, where, you know, growth rates were really high, but against that, you know, it was what, what people considered jobless growth. Uh, so the government has has just constituted an employment data task force. Uh, now, it's interesting to me that actually we don't have quantifiable data for employment today. And so one of the big concerns around this whole question about, well, how many jobs are getting created? Nobody seems to have this answer. Yeah, one reason for the lack of answer to this question is that the narrative in India regarding economy is centered around the corporate world. It is not, uh, we don't see the business channels or the economists talking much about the MSME sector. Whereas if you go by statistics, the bulk of the employment in India is not provided by the corporate sector or the government sector. It is provided by the MSME sector. This sector is vast and it is largely unorganized. So the problem is that this sector requires a detailed study and not much many studies have been done by the government with respect to the MSME sector. Now, recently, two, three years back, there was a scheme launched. It is a highly publicized scheme known as Mudra, Mudra Yojana. So this scheme has been particularly targeted towards the MSME sector. They are giving loans to the MSME sector to expand their business. So obviously, lots and lots of entrepreneurs using this Mudra. So it is obvious that they will have also created many jobs. But there is, like you said, there is no proper study because the narrative in India is, is is focused around the corporate sector. The unorganized sector, as you mentioned, which is, you know, where you've had this sort of situation, especially in MSME and, and so on, where all the dealings were done outside the formal economy, right? So the government 
can't even see, for example, how many employees exist uh, in certain factories and certain things because there's, there's no record of it anywhere. Even the labor department statistics only cover a few sectors. They don't even cover all the sectors. Regarding Mudra Yojana, yeah, yeah. yeah we've, we've had we've had four crore borrowers, right? So that's, I mean, that's, it's not a small number at all. Um, if even 60, 70% of these people actually created a, you know, some kind of a, a, a sector out of out of these jobs, and even if they only employed themselves, um, that's still, you know, more than two or three core jobs, uh, you know, in terms of employment opportunities that came about. And then we, of course, don't know inside that, you know, even if they employed one other person, now that number is going. Yeah, that is why a proper study of the MSME sector is required with respect to job creation. And I guess the portal which you mentioned is it is a good step towards that yeah exactly and on the last podcast we were talking about uh, the civil aviation uh, policy and then the skill development behind it and then the you know how many placements are actually happening the primary goal of this sort of task force which was constituted uh, last week uh, you know is to actually now try to begin to assess in terms of numbers really what what do we have in india um, and then turn around to the government and you know try and then you know, quantify this data into something that's actionable than at the moment where it's all hypothesis. So uh, next piece of news, which was the health initiatives in action. And I'm I'm really surprised that this did not, I mean, this did really merit much discussion in the last week. But there were two separate announcements that came through. Uh, the first one was, was the AIDS announcement. Anybody that tests HIV positive, it will be entitled for treatment, you know, irrespective of the stage. And this is part of India's commitment, uh, you know, to meeting uh, a global or a worldwide AIDS goal by 2030. Uh, the second item that came up was the pneumococcal uh, vaccine, uh, which was instituted for about 21 lakh children across Himachal Pradesh and some parts of UP and Bihar. Again, the same story. India carries most, the biggest burden, so it's about 20% of the total deaths that happen under the age of five due to pneumococcal bacteria, mainly pneumonia and meningitis. Uh, So again, here the government has instituted, uh, you know, a vaccine program for all children under the age of five. It started with these these three states, but then it's going to expand to two more and then eventually across the country. But these are two big sort of initiatives from the government side to try and help disease control. Uh, but somehow, <laughs> you know, I, I, I came across this news, but I did not hear anything about it in the media. See, one misfor- it is a misfortune of this country that the news which you mentioned do not make it even to the headlines of many news channels in India. I guess the only news channel which properly covers these types of news is Blue Darshan News, which is unfortunately a TV news channel. It is like if you view Blue Darshan, you are uncool. <laughs> but you're right. It is It is almost uncool. And, and I don't think they have the viewership numbers anyway. We, we've done uh, a lot of uh, things towards you know under the health and family welfare ministry in the last six months or so and the, i mean these two big initiatives uh you know not getting covered to me seems really odd and which is why i wanted to mention them today as far as AIDS is concerned we need to remember that firstly india is the world's number one country when it comes to hiv positive infection we have overtaken african countries it's estimated that we have 21 lakh hiv patients in india but out of these 21 lakhs, only about 14 lakh are actually known. So there is a big disparity here just in terms of treatment and use. And secondly, even today in India, there are still a lot of stigmas against HIV patients despite them not having any fault. So considering this from the social justice point of view, it will give the HIV positive patients their due and it will compensate for the injustice which they have to face in India many times without their fault. You make an interesting point because 
The whole point of the HIV bill earlier this year was to safeguard the right against discrimination in terms of making sure they got treatment, in terms of things like informed consent and, and actually legalizing all these aspects. Again, it comes to to giving these patients their dues. And then they have, you know, supplemented that by actually now announcing that, you know, not only will we protect your rights, but then we will also offer treatment irrespective of your stage because you deserve it. Yeah, definitely. But we can hope through our podcast and through other mediums on social media, we can make such news mainstream. <laughs> I agree. Uh, one final piece of news uh, concerning your, your state, which is the, the Mumbai Coastal Highway Project. It was a project that was stuck in approvals in legislation for about 15 years. But this is not the story of one infrastructure project of Mumbai. Most many important infrastructure projects have been stuck similarly, like the Sibri Nava Sheva Trans Harbour Link, the Coastal Road Project, even the Metro Rail Project. Everything has been in planning for more than a decade or two, but or it has been stuck at the planning stage. Now the Coastal Road Project is, is very important because it connects the business districts of Mumbai, which are located in South Mumbai, to the northern suburbs, which are the most populated suburbs of Mumbai. The first phase of the Coastal Road Project will be from Nariman Point in South Mumbai, which is the most important business district, to Bandra in the western suburbs. And the second phase of the Coastal Road Project will be from Bandra to Valley. Now this entire project is going to cost around rupees 14,000 crores and the total length of this road will be 29.2 kilometers. So if you see, if you ever, ever travel from South Mumbai to Western suburbs by road, you will know how congested that zone is because despite being the most, despite most of the road being six lane to eight lane, there is still a lot of traffic jams on that road every day. It takes around two hours to go from Bandra to Dahisar which is hardly 15 to 20 kilometers distance. So this road will take a lot of traffic from the Western Express Highway, as well as from the Swami Vivekanand Mark, which is also another road from Bandra to Daishar. Hopefully both these roads will be congested, will be decongested. And I am happy that at least the first stage of the project from Nariman Point to Bandra has got the final environmental approval from the government. Yeah, it does. So I have, I, you know, I've traveled numerous times uh, on the Western Highway. And then I know what you mean. I, I have the advantage of, uh, you know, visiting by more so on vacation than, you know, than, than being there during peak hours. So I can at least afford to try and manage my time a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, the, the first phase, uh, which is about almost 10 kilometers, uh, which hopefully will be launched in 2019. Devendra Fadnavis, the chief minister of Maharashtra, has also indicated that uh, they are working through the approvals for the second phase. So it, it should be forthcoming. Um, I think there's, there's a specific section on the second phase, which is the Bandra Warsaw ceiling bit, uh, which has an environmental component and they're, they're facing some opposition there. Yeah, the main problem is the mangroves in Warsaw. So government has stated that it will try to minimize the destruction of mangroves in Warsaw. Right. And the, another problem with this project, which which is that this project will be implemented by the Brian Mumbai Municipal Corporation and not by the MMRDA, which is the Mumbai Metropolitan Route. Mumbai Metropolitan Region Development Authority. So now right. if you know, if you are aware of the work of BMC, so that will automatically make you a bit skeptical about the implementation of project, but let's hope for the best. Yeah, I was looking at this news and I saw that. And then, uh... Uh, same same thing like you so you kind of feel a little bit skeptical but uh, you know there's just been an election there and let's let's hope that the uh, you know the new mayor and stuff sort of uh, try to push this i think for for uh, the government the state government at least uh, this will become a prestige point anyway in terms of saying you know not only did we get the approval but then we've you know started the construction started the work uh, especially at least since the first phase falls within their um, within their current uh, you know current tenure 
Yeah, because the the Eastern Freeway project has enabled signal free signal free driving from Ghatkopar right up to CST. So it has Correct, not only yeah. decongested the central Mumbai, but it has also reduced traveling time considerably. So now for the same thing will be done by the coastal road project for residents of western suburbs as in South Mumbai. It will enable signal free tra- signal free traveling from Nariman Point all the way to Kandy Valley. So this makes, Which makes is this project yeah. very much important not only from the time, not only because of the savings in time which it will provide, but also from environment point of view, as Mumbai is one of the most polluted cities in the country. Absolutely, I had the um, I only traveled the the Eastern Highway. Uh, for the first time about a year and a half ago. Um, so it was quite a, it was a completely different experience for me, uh, especially considering I mostly, uh, you know, my major route when I'm, when I'm in Bombay is, is along the Western Highway. And so, um, so it was a, a massive revelation to, you know, to get through from one end uh, to the other. I was, I was coming back from Malad and it, it was amazing to, to come down the Eastern Highway to CST because it took all of, I think it was like 30 minutes or less, uh, which in Bombay is, uh, is like a gift. Yeah, on the Eastern Freeway, you can easily travel with the speed of 60 kilometers per hour minimum. Or no, yeah. You can also go, take it to 80 kilometers per hour because the road is a four-lane highway and heavy vehicles are not allowed on the road. Also, two-wheelers are also not allowed on the road. Yeah, exactly, which is why it was extremely, uh, on, you know, an uncongested route. Um, despite me traveling, I think it was close to peak time. So I want to take a minute and, and thank our listeners for their feedback on previous episodes. Um, you know, we've, we've been receiving inputs. Uh, we have a couple of interesting podcasts lined up uh, on, on topic suggestions that we've received. Uh, we are obviously going to keep continuing our policy discussions, uh, you know, and try to bring you more facts about how things are moving across India. Um, but then we've also received, you know, new, you know, repeated requests for a couple of uh, very important topics. So we're trying to work on them and I hope to bring them to you soon. Um, so our, our main topic today is is a discussion of sort of the textile industry in India, uh, and while we will focus primarily on some initiatives taken uh, by the ministry last year, uh, we kind of need to look back at um, you know sort of the you know India's textile standing globally, um, and it it isn't a very pretty picture. India's current share, at least as of 24, was about four percent of global exports. Um, even a country like Bangladesh is you know, at 5% at that stage. So that's not, a, again, that's not a great, uh, great number. Um, and then if you look even further back, uh, over 20 years or so, India's, uh, you know, textile growth has been about 11.5%. Uh, comparatively, a country like Bangladesh's has been, you know, closer to 20%, so that's nearly double. Textile exports are becoming a larger share of the total. So um, out of the total things India exports in 2013, about 13% was was textile. This number is over 15% now. In, in uh, but the the total volume is is roughly around the same. So there there it's not it's not a great picture, uh, you know, when you look at what India is a, you know what India produces against what India is able to export or or get as a share of the total market. Yeah, and this is particularly particularly disappointing because throughout the period when India has been hailed in the world as the golden sparrow or rather more famously the Soneki Chidia, the textile industry of India has played a very significant role in that. In that. India was always one of the leading producers of textiles in the world right from ancient times till the medieval times before the advent of and before the advent of the british even if we talk about modern times from 1995 to 2000 india was the world's leading exporter of textile but after that due to lack of attention from government and maybe due to some other factors bangladesh and vietnam overtook us 
and now currently china is the world leader in when it comes to export of textile uh, and 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 there are for example there are other factors like um, if you, if you look at the tariffs so india pays i think about uh, you know 9% 9 plus percent in, in for example in the european union uh, but uh, but bangladesh enjoys a 0% tariff and um, so obviously there are certain things pr- probably that can happen at a bilateral level to to help india um, but but it does look as well that you know we're not investing enough uh, in india so the the estimation i think is you know for every unit of investment in clothing it leads to 12 times as many jobs uh, compared to uh, you know as compared to say the automobile industry or for example steel industry where that that number is a factor of 30 uh, yet that these are the areas where we've invested but we don't seem to have invested enough uh, you know when it comes to textiles um, the one the one uh, additional point that i do want to make and i think this is a very indicative statistic um, is is the way our factories operate if you look at the statistics where we have factories of less than 50 workers uh, that's 78% of total textile factories that we have and if you compare that with something like china where china is at 15% so it's a huge gap and then if you look at those which have you know um, more than 500 employees only 10% of our factories do that uh, again as compared to say 28%. So we do have a, a manpower issue uh, and I was reading various studies that have been done on you know the, the amount of output where you know where there are more people working in parallel. Uh, and then one of the issues that's that's that could be causing this is we have something called the Industrial Disputes Act of 1947 and this is obviously a very old act but a specific section which is section VB of this act actually imposes heavy penalties for factories that have more than 100 employees it's it becomes harder to fire people it becomes harder to shut down the factory and so that could be one of the reasons why we only employ a smaller number of workers because from a policy level um, you know this is what has gotten encouraged uh, just because the the damages are so punitive you know the moment you cross 100 workers india is very few factories that actually employ more than 500 people now comparing that with china even the largest the largest garment manufacturing factories in china have a workforce as large as 30000 people in fact even bangladesh has garment manufacturing unit which employ 10000 workers in india the numbers rarely go beyond 1000 workers in fact in india the garment manufacturers prefer to split their workforce into many units instead of employing a lot of workers at one unit this basically because they know that they cannot easily fire workers and in precise and, in, and due to this the one of the major initiatives one of the major i would say reforms of this government which has been announced in the new textile policy is with respect to contract workers one of the features of textile industry is the demand varies with season the peak demand is during the christmas new year time so what happens is due to seasonal nature of garment industry the in the new policy fixed term employment will be introduced for the textile sector and the fixed term workmen will be considered at par with permanent workmen so this is better than employing contract workers because when you employ contract workers the contract workers anyway do not get as much pay as the permanent workers do besides that the provision there is a provision of 240 days under section 80JJAA of the income tax act which should be relaxed to 150 days for the garment industry also another important initiative is the government will bear the entire employer's contribution of 12% EPF under the EPF scheme for new employees of garment industry earning less than rupees 15000 per month 
and this will be for the first three years. Uh, yeah, so it it does seem that uh, you know a, a specific um, angle around the 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 you know the the policy changes that came out last year are focused on labor reforms and creating jobs. You already mentioned a bunch of these, um, and I, they're important ones. So tax exemptions being relaxed, you know, for employees of the government industry is a good thing. Um, again, the government helping out with with EPF is great. The issue with the seasonality, and again, this goes back to the Industrial Disputes Act. Where you know when 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 the policy is so punitive for larger factories, it's very natural that businesses, as you mentioned, will will split their workforce across many factories rather than have everybody at one factory, which would have been really great for output all over India. And this is not limited to the garment industry. Uh, most companies find sort of backdoor entries using contract workers and stuff to alleviate these. Uh, you know, additional conditions that come into effect when you cross, for example, 10 employees for offices and then when you cross 100 and so on and so forth. So obviously this has to be adjusted and I think this has to be adjusted across all industries. Um, but specifically as we're talking about about garments today, it's a good sign that the government is has, has focused, among other things, on labor reforms when it comes to specifically, uh, you know, the garment industry. And they've done this for both what we call the made-up, you know, the made-ups industries, uh, which is all the other, which, which includes all the other produced and manufactured uh, things that are not clothing where again there there's also the same the same improvement which is 12% of the EPF um, also looking at overtime adjusting those to meet the needs of the industry yeah and as i said earlier indians pre- indian manufacturers prefer to open several small factories rather than one big factory and the ill effect of this is that when the demand peaks during christmas or new year I mean, not during, but sometime before Christmas or New Year, the Indian manufacturers are never able to meet the demand. And this is one of the reasons why countries like Bangladesh and Vietnam have marched ahead of India, despite having resources far less than what India has. So the current, so the fixed term employment, which has been introduced by the government, will definitely help in addressing this issue and make Indian manufacturers more competitive on the global scale. Absolutely. And the government is looking to incentivize, uh, you know, for the factories as well, helping with the EPF, because then the, the burden's not on the employer. Again, that's an incentive. Uh, but when you look at other state levies and things like that, they're they're looking to refund some of them and make various adjustments, um, including the, you know, the duty drawback. And the idea is that we'll subsidize and help you out so that you generate more jobs. And then if you generate jobs, then the subsidies will stay. Otherwise, you don't get the subsidy. So it's an it's an outcome-driven incentive, not just an incentive. For this very reason, the government has introduced rupees 6,000 crore package for the textile industry. And out of this 6,000 crore rupees, rupees 5,500 crore rupees will be used to give an additional 5% duty drawback for government. A new scheme will be introduced to refund the state levies, which were not refunded so far. And besides that, the remaining 500 crore rupees will be for additional incentives under the amended technology upgradation fund scheme. And this 500 crore rupees will be used if some this 500 crore rupees will be used if someone wants to upgrade his machinery. Now, in the current competitive world, even there are even machineries are to be even machines are to be upgraded from time to time. Earlier, if you wanted to upgrade your machine. The government used to give only 15% subsidy increase to 25%. Um, the textile ministry, particularly in 2016, has done a lot towards upgrading, you know, various different pieces of equipment. I mean, just um, 80,000, for example, power looms were upgraded during the calendar year 2016. But the good thing that I like 
um, in a lot of these subsidy and or uh, you know, upgrade schemes that are being put out is there are very, very definitive outcome. For example, when you look at the, um, you know, the power loom upgrade or even the purchase of new uh, looms and things like that, the, the precondition is you must install this loom in your cottage or you must install this loom in a shared workspace area only. You're trying to cut down on the misuse that is that tends to be rampant. Yeah, so this is an example of the right of rightful use of subsidies. The government is not just sending those to the poor to win votes, but these kind of subsidies will end up creating more jobs. And when it comes to jobs, one thing we need to notice, one important point which Indian policymakers and politicians have never understood since independence is that India needs to encourage manufacturing that employs low-skilled and unskilled workers. If you see India's industrial history right since 1950s, we have always focused on industries which require highly skilled workers, but we are not focused on industries which require low-skilled workers or unskilled workers. And textiles is a sector which largely requires low-skilled and unskilled workers. So this the textile sector has got huge employment generating potential. If you see, now if you look at the countries of East Asia, most of these countries of East Asia gained independence after India did. For example, South Korea, it was destroyed by the Korean War and it became free practically only in 1953. Even Vietnam became free in 1975 after the Vietnam War ended. And there are many such examples, but most of these countries have much ahead of India when it comes to GDP per capita and other economic prosperity indica indicators. This is primarily because these countries focused on simple factories first, which require unskilled and low-skilled labor. So what happened is, as these countries invested in creating simple factories, the simple factories provided a backdrop for establishment of more complicated industries later on. So ideally, what India should have done is, they should have created simple factories like toys and textiles in the initial years of independence. But we did the exactly opposite, and the result is in front of us. The East Asian countries are much ahead of us, and we are considerably behind them today. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we should add here that we're talking about countries where you know manpower and population is you know is quite high in terms of density so we've got so much manpower a lot of it is unskilled a lot of it is what we call semi-skilled um, and instead of developing all of this talent as you mentioned we focus at the wrong end of this uh, the government's initiative here the 6000 crore that we've been talking about um, uh, which covers two elements so there was uh, an initial policy update done in june and then there was an update uh, specifically for made-ups um, in you know in December uh, and the target that they've set is essentially one crore jobs over about I think three years about uh, close to almost two lakh crore in exports and that's the kind of the standing that India wants to be able to generate. Uh, what's also interesting is that mo a majority of the employment when it comes in textiles uh, actually goes to women. Um, and again, when you tie it into something like the Mudra scheme, where try and target about five lakh weavers under Mudra over three years again, so five lakh weavers who would then essentially be employed. Uh, so these are not small numbers when we're talking about trying to incentivize and, and get these people, you know, not just uh, employment, but then also when you look at the, you know, overall output that India can contribute, especially when it comes to things like government. In September 2014, the Make in India initiative was launched with much fanfare. But if you carefully look at the initiative, you will feel that even the Make in India initiative initially focused on factories which require highly skilled laborers. For example, it focused on defense, it focused on solar, equip solar equipment, solar energy equipment. Absolutely. 
and so on so now it is good to know that the government has finally realized what i have said that we need to focus on simple factories first and only then we can we go for the big factories i think to me this is the most important point uh, that we've been making uh, i know we focus on on textile but this is something that when you look at both you know both the both the elements which is the employment side of it but then the output side of it too focusing here would have generated huge amounts for us uh, in export and gdp numbers as well as in terms of we're talking you know one you know one plus crore jobs over 3 years that could have started maybe a little earlier something as simple as uh, you know a 500 crore uh, investment on the you know the technology upgrade fund scheme that that you mentioned where they're going to increase the subsidy for 50 you know from 15% to 25% this segment alone is expected to create about 12 lakh employment opportunities this is a you know it's what i would call a pretty pretty high return on investment for the government um, so it's amazing that we haven't done this already yeah the only threat to the employment is automation but so maybe even after automation we may not be able to achieve 100% success but even if we achieve 50% or 60% that is still going to be a huge amount of jobs created huge number of jobs created this is a it's a much larger point and a little bit theoretical anyway but i you know automation does does cause some some impacts but then it also you know at the end of the day there are people that are required to look after the automation look after the machines so they, they you know they have to find alternative ways but it doesn't mean that their employment goes bust uh, but i think this ties into the the next point which i want to raise which is regarding skill development and i think it's something we you know we were talking about quite often because you know we were talking about unskilled labor but things like um, you know hand loom and all of these other industries where you know a small amount of skill is required um, and against which you would you would generally get a very high output the numbers in in 2016 to me read well in comes of skill development uh, where the the government says that about 8 and a half lakh people um you know were were targeted by the end of 2016 um out of which uh, you know more than 5 and a half lakh were actually placed in you know towards jobs and employment so again the turnaround is 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 quite high when you look at you know 7 and a half lakh people were assessed for employment and you know it's about 5.8 lakh were actually placed whatever the 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 conversion rate from being assessed to actually getting jobs is very very high yeah so that's why as i said textile is an industry requiring low skilled and unskilled workers so that's why it has got very high conversion rate for jobs yeah but again the the government targets are quite good uh, you know we're we're talking about uh, hitting close to 10 lakh per year so we were eight and a half lakhs at the end of 2016 uh, the government hopes to reach 10 lakh per year by by the year 2020 and and train in all uh, about 51 lakh uh, you know people by 2022 with more than 70% of them being women you know a small step but a huge step yeah so thankfully the government has realized its potential and now the textile ministry has been given to one of the trusted aides of prime minister narendra modi it has been given to smriti irani yeah so we can hope for the best as um, as we've seen over the years being a woman leader she connects with women well um there have been six some 66 uh, you know new textile parks that were sanctioned in the last uh, you know at the end of 2016 again these are these are big numbers you know they they they're all in the tens of thousands touching lakhs of of jobs that are getting created this way um, and you know we were talking about the earlier numbers and yes we know that you know these things still need to be 
still need to be implemented but uh, but i would anticipate that if if they stick to their tasks uh, you know by 2020 for example uh, the textile industry alone will have uh, will bear the brunt of uh, you know new new jobs and another thing to be noted is that the government focus is more on employing women in this sector the one crore jobs which they are targeting they are going to target especially they are going to generate jobs especially for women it's, it's good that they're keeping that in mind even at the training stage and not just you know hoping that they'll suddenly pop in and be able to do everything that they want um, anything else that you want to mention on the on the textile policy i would yeah. only say that this is what we call actual women empowerment yeah i agree and i, I think um, even if you look at for example the mudra yojana in general not just textiles a significant majority of the people taking these mudra loans are women you know we're start, i think we're starting to see a, a massive rise of the small scale women entrepreneurship it's it's good that the textile ministry is aligning itself with this women entrepreneurship goals yeah hopefully the coming days will be very good for the indian textile industry yeah i have to be honest i mean we know when we were doing the research for this like when you look at the numbers and how I mean, much much smaller countries with much lesser manpower overtook us years ago not not recently like not last year or something they overtook us like 4 5 6 years ago it's a bit disappointing to see these numbers yeah it's definitely disappointing because it- it feels like as if a student who has got a capacity to score 80% mark is scoring only 50% simply because these teachers are not teaching him well <laughs> or because he yeah, does I... not have resources like like electricity at night or access to good textbooks and so on yeah it is it's a very interesting analogy actually um, and I, and i think we're far below 50% actually so again i mean you know it's it's a it's a good direction the the targets are are um, i think not overly ambitious but but reasonable um so let's let's see how how these numbers add up 